Okay, hello everyone, welcome to our bonus podcast. I'm the host Donato Urbanas and today we will have uh, this lineup of our uh, co-contributor Augustus Shulauskas who's making video breakdowns for basketnews.com and of course uh, Eric Mokalo, the new player of Izmir Karshiaka. Welcome to the show guys. Hello guys. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, and good to be uh, good to sign a contract in June as we discussed before the podcast, right? Just uh, run through that agreement with Karshiaka because the funny thing was that in the last part we were discussing who would you go for for the BCL team or the EuroCup team if you had an offer on the table. It felt like you were close to signing Venice, but then Karshiaka came out of nowhere. So can you uh, take us through that signing experience in Turkey? Yeah, um, it was crazy because you know I talked to the team at Venice and you know it was a good team, good organization. I heard nothing but good things. Um, and the coach was very professional. And, you know, I'm thinking like, maybe this is where I'm going to go. You never really know um, until you really sign on the dotted line. But it was feeling like I was going to go that way. And you know, out of nowhere, I get a call um, from John Diebler, one of my old teammates. And he told me that um, Ufak um, wanted my number and wanted to talk to me. And I was like, okay, I mean, you know, they had sent in a contract first. And, you know, we were going back and forth, you know, and I was like, ah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Venice, but then, um, you know, they finally met the terms that, you know, that I wanted. And, um, you know, we had a good conversation. You know, I talked with them about his plan for the team, what he thought, you know, I already know about his prestige as a coach. He was the national team coach. He's a champion. He's won, he's been there. And, you know, I just, you know, believed in what he could do. So as far as like champions league Euro cup for me, um, you know, I'm at the stage where I'm, I'm 34 years old. You know, I just want to continue to play at a high level, playing good leagues, um, and, you know, play in a good country. That's good for my family. And if you can take good salary, do that as well. So for me, Euro Cup, Champions League, not really a big difference, you know, but for a younger player who has that ambitions to get to the Euro League, you know, I can see, you know, using that Euro League or Euro Cup way to get there as a pathway. But for me, it was, you know, a great situation, you know, a great country. Turkey is one of my favorite places to play um, in my career. And anytime you can pair with a good team, a good coach, and your family's happy, your wife's happy, she was pleased with it. You don't have to worry about any political situations, nothing like that. I'm just there to play basketball and enjoy myself. That was the opportunity I had to jump on. Was there anything special you left on the table? I mean, uh, if I remember well, you tweeted about uh, being on the list of some solid, solid teams, uh, right? But at the same time, you didn't want to put yourself in a situation that you might, uh, let's say, mm, skip some good offers just for waiting for some, some somebody crazy. Uh, what, what was in particular you had on the table, for example? Like it's like teams will call your agent, right? And they'll be interested. They'll tell you we have you on a short list. Um, you know, there's a guy that we like. And the translation to that means that they like you, but they also like a few other guys and they want you to wait. Um, maybe there's a board, there's a, a group of people that they have to make a decision on. Um, sometimes one person doesn't have the ultimate power. So it's kind of have to be a group, cho- a group choice, a group decision. And then from there, oftentimes it can mean that they also like other players, maybe a little bit more, maybe less. And maybe if they miss on those guys, then they'll come to you or, you know, but you're not the first one on the list because if you were, the offer would already be there. And in my stage, I'm experienced. I've been here. I know, you know, what that means. It means that they like me. They do. And there's a chance I could go there. But if I find everything I'm looking for in a team, you know, like Karshiaka, they gave me everything that I wanted. And 
um, it's a location that I desired. You know, I really wanted to get back to Turkey. Um, the most fun I ever had playing basketball on and off the court, you know, was my years in Turkey. You know, granted, I was at Galatasaray, but it was just an awesome time. And, you know, I wanted to go back with my family and do that. And the fact that it's a high level team, you know, made me jump on it. So a lot of guys would wait, you know, a younger player in my younger days, I would wait, I would play that game. But in my stage of the game, you know, I got a two year guaranteed deal. Um, you know, I'm pleased with the terms and, you know, I, I see the growth in the team. I see the potential. We can be a competitor in the Champions League. And, you know, we can be a top four team in the Turkish League. So that's all I needed. You know, I like winning. Ufa likes winning. And I think that, um, you know, he has the ability to not only coach, but, you know, to push me, you know, and to help me elevate myself as well. Because if you're not trying to constantly improve, well, what are you playing the game for? Yeah, finally we have European basketball season finished. Uh, the French League finals ended with Aswell taking a dramatic win against uh, Monaco. It was one of the last uh, major competition uh, without a champion, so finally this is it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the national team started playing. Uh, we saw Luka Doncic and Goran Dragic uh, pairing up uh, together again, uh, playing against Italian uh, national team, winning the game by 18 or 19 points. Luka uh, scored 12 points. He had, I think, seven rebounds, five assists. I just, just before this pod, I watched the game. Uh, it kind of reminded me more of an all-star game, actually, because Luka was... He was missing dunks. He was throwing some alley passes that just hit the backboard. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty awkward game. Uh, but anyways, you know, I believe that the entire summer we'll be talking about Luka Doncic and the upcoming Eurobasket because, if you remember well, the last summer Slovenia national team was the team that brought a lot of joy uh, for all the basketball fans around the world. At the same time, Luka Doncic reminds me the 2017 and 18 season. Uh, when you played for Anadolu Efes and Real Madrid, and it was the first game of the entire EuroLeague season, actually. You went up for 26 points, uh, I think. You were good, you were cooking, but at the same time, Luka Doncic went for a career-high 27 points, and Real Madrid won against Anadolu Efes. What, what, what do you remember about that game, and just in general, what's your biggest Luka Doncic memory? That's funny, because I remember that game vividly. Um, I heard a lot about Luka Doncic and everybody knew he was a, a top five pick. Um, but oftentimes, you know, you're not sure, you know, how a player, you know, maybe translates if he's really good or if it's his potential. And, and you know, I hadn't seen him play live. I had heard a lot of stuff and we're watching the film and we're going over matchups. And usually I guard the point guard and coach was like, yeah, you're not going to guard the point guard today. And I looked at him like, why not? Like I normally guard the point guard. And he was like, uh, Luka's too big. I was like, okay, like how big is he really? Like I see it says six eight here on the um, scouting report, but what is he like six six? He's like, no, Eric, uh, he's six eight. I was like, come on, six eight point guard in Europe. Like I'm not buying that. I was like, how much is he? He was only eighteen, and he was only eighteen. Yeah, <laughs> and he's eight, like he's eighteen years old. He's six eight, and he plays point guard. And I was like, okay, like is he? Is he heavy? Like yeah, he's probably about two hundred and thirty pounds. And I just look like, oh my goodness, like, like, nah, I, I have to see this. I'm, I'm not going to believe an 18 year old kid can have this man body, but also be like agile enough to be a point guard. So we get to the game and we're in warmups. And normally I'm just always focused on myself, do my warmups and stay locked in. But I had to turn and look like just to size up. And I was like, okay, yeah, he, he looks to be about six, eight. And the thing I remember vividly is the whole team on Real Madrid had um, their warmup song. 
Everybody was in uniform. Everybody had the same thing on. Luca had on a whole different warm up. You could see the swagger. You could see the confidence. And the whole time I'm thinking, look at this cocky little 18 year old coming in here dressing different than the whole team. I'm like, who, who does he think he is? And uh, I mean, he backed it up. He came out and I mean, he was he was phenomenal. Uh, and after the game, I think my brother watched that game, too. And uh, he, he called me after the game and he was like, Ooh, he said, Luca Dantic is real. He said he's going to have a long career in our league. And I was like, yeah, he, he's legit. He's legit. And I mean, he gave it to us every way. Um, he was the bigger guys. He were taking them off the dribble one on one isolation, blowing by them. Um, we tried to put smaller guards on them. Um, he was posting. There was a he was scoring so much. It got to the point where I was just like, all right, let me try. I mean, y'all are everybody's getting scored on. I might as well go try. And I think he hit a three on my face, you know, just because he's six, eight, just rises up over top of me, shot it. And I was like, man, he, he's a tough player. I mean, I got my way offensively. You know, I usually pretty score pretty well and I usually can get to my spots. But I would tell you, we had no matchup for him. And after that, I said he can wear whatever he wants in warm ups. He can do whatever he wants because this kid is the real thing. That's crazy yeah, he's, that he's, there were still some people uh, in the States not believing his potential, <laughs> uh, even after he won the EuroLeague at 18 and was the MVP of the season. So. I was about to I was about to ask you, you know, if CG had any doubts and if you had that kind of discussion that, you know, splitting into camps saying that, oh, Luca uh, will fail or he will make it. But from what I understood, there was no discussion at all, right? Yeah, I mean, we were always skeptical of any young player. So if a young player comes in, it's extremely Coming from difficult. Europe, probably. Yeah, especially from Europe, because you're not just yeah. thinking he has to learn a whole different style of basketball. He has to deal with the language barrier find a new place, first time away from home. But this is different. Luca kind of, he's from Slovenia, so he kind of went to Spain. And, you know, it's far away from home, but it's a lot different being in the U.S. You know, the culture is different, everything. You know, being the, the cornerstone of a franchise, like it's a lot of pressure, a lot of things that go into it. And then, you know, now he's given an access amount of money. Like you never know how that might, you know, affect the player's mentality, how they train, how they work the professionalism, like all these things you can't really counter for. And it's just a lot for an 18 year old to shoulder. And he's, I mean, he's handled it excellently. I mean, he's been great. And I think um, we had doubts just because we had never saw him. But once I played against him and my brother watches all my games, I watch all his after he destroyed FS <laughs> when I was there, we knew, okay, um, he, he's going to be just fine. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about the ever tall point guard, which is in a different situation right now. And Nicolate is one of the main topics of our podcast. We will try to find the best landing destination for, for Nick, who, is, who seems like to be moving out of Barcelona. Just a short intro for the entire episode. We will also discuss Fenerbahce being on the rebuild and the next important piece uh, for the rebuild. Maccabi almost finishing the rebuild, actually. Vasilis Panulis and him jumping straight from playing to the head coaching. And we'll try to analyze the game five of the French League finals. Amazing, amazing uh, battle of Asphalt and Monaco. So starting from Nicolaitis, just a short information. He's under the contract with Barcelona for the another year. But it seems like he's moving. Other teams are also approaching both camps and uh, his contract for the next year is worth around 2 million euros according to my sources and I know that teams are approaching 
and asking to split the contract, let's say in in, in two halves for Barca to pay to cover, you know, one million, the other team might cover one million as well. So Kalaitis, who was, you know, top tier player now kind of becomes available for these middle level teams, middle mm, level budget teams like uh, Maccabi, for example, Monaco or, or other cl- clubs, because it's, it's different than to throw, you know, you can throw one million and it's not needed to throw two millions for a player like Nicolaitis. Uh, so we'll see where he will end up. It's still not clear. And before the pod, I ask you to do some homework and to find the best landing destination for him or at the same time, the team where you would like to see him. And there might be different reasons for that. So Augustus, I would like to start uh, with you. Where do you want to see Nicolaitis next year? I mean, I had two options in my mind at first. I had uh, Fenerbahce and Maccabi when you told, when you asked me yesterday. But uh, I'm seeing the reports today that Lorenzo Brown is signing for Maccabi, and I think that closes that door because I think Brown, Lorenzo Brown, and Nick are similar type of players in in some way. They are both great on ball defenders. They are both tall point guards. They're both let's say average shooters uh both great in transition i saw i compared their transition uh, points per possession on instat and even lorenzo brown was better so i think maccabi doesn't need uh, two point guards of the same type so i think that leaves him with uh i see him the best in fenerbahce especially if uh the colo resigns with them so you have the colo and wilbekin two smaller guards so maybe i would see two bigger guards complementing this uh, this backcourt. And uh, I think one of the options for Fenerbahce would be Nicolades. Would be great in maybe covering, you know, other two players on defense because maybe, you know, the Colo and Wilbekin could have some hard times maybe in the playoffs more. So I think Kalaitis would be great in organizing the play. It could be a great complementing player together with these two ball-dominant players who... Are, you know who would like to who likes to score more so i think it would be a great pickup for Fenerbahce and could even lift them to you know maybe in the playoffs for sure but maybe even contending for the final four yeah i think one of the underrated skills of or qualities that nicolaitis brings on the floor is his defense i remember that shulness cap just pointed this out the last year in the final four where he said that everybody's talking about his uh, assists, uh, him passing the ball, making all these highlights for Facebook or Instagram. But as the coach, he likes the most his defense. And I was actually surprised uh, about his defensive impact he made for Barca even this season. I think that he was the... Mm, his defensive impact was second highest on Barcelona team uh, per B-Bolitics. Uh, so make, he makes a huge difference on both ends of the floor, although we are talking more about his assists because he's the leader in EuroLeague in assists per game. So yeah, that's that's one of the things which uh, fits uh, well next to uh, Ulbikin and Dicolo. Not only his, you know... Mm, presence shouldering the offense but at the same time helping them in in defense and being a 198 uh, centimeters point guard is a huge advantage when you have to uh, play defense and uh, on the offense as well you can post up some 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 other opponents what do you think eric yeah i gotta agree with you guys um especially Augusta. you said thinner that could be an ideal fit just because um his ability in the pick and row i mean the color's a good passer um, he can create he can score, but 
you know, Nick is one of the most creative passers in Europe. You know, to me, he's the best passer, you know, out of the pick and roll, finding the reads, the lob, the corner looks. I mean, he sees everything. And with that size, that defensive mentality, with DeColo and Wilbur not being really defensive-minded guards, you know, you bring someone in who can create and give you something on the offensive end and kind of dictate the tempo of the game, but also can guard. Um, another sleeper pick that I thought could be a good team, you know, is Milan. Um, they're losing Delaney. Um, they're not sure what they're going to do with Chacho. Um, Pangos is, you know, in limbo. Is he going to be free from Cheska? Is he's not? We don't know. I think that would be a great place to slide him in at Milan to be in Messina's system, you know, running that pick and roll heavy offense. <laughs> and there'd be a big lineup. You could go with him and Shields in that backcourt if you want Shields to play the two sometimes, sometimes the three. I think that would be really um, attractive for him. But if I'm Barcelona, I also want to be smart with what team I allow to, to have him because Nick Collette is a really good player. He can put Milan on a different stratosphere or he can put Finner on a different level. And if you do that, you're almost essentially guaranteeing one of those teams a playoff position and most likely a final four position. And that's a team that you're going to have to compete against. And you know, do you really want to face that? Is that $1 million worth it at the end of the day to save? I don't know, you know, but maybe to them it is. So yeah, Eric, you are saying uh, you want to see Kalaris return to Panathinaikos if that's possible. I mean, that would be Barcelona would like to see that. <laughs> Barcelona would like to see that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be fun to see um, in, his, in that open offense, him doing it, controlling things. I don't know if they would have the pieces around him necessary to, to, to flourish like he needed just because he's such a good passer. He needs guys who can finish plays, who can shoot. And, you know, with Panda cutting the budget so much, will they be able to put that talent around him to, to necessarily compete? So if I'm him, I would look for Finner or Milan more. You know, I know this would never happen. I mean, Hertel had issues with this, but Madrid could be in the market for a point guard with Perry Henry, you know, testing the NBA waters, you know, but I'm sure once they realized that that was an option, that would be blocked or they would put in the contract anywhere but there. You know, it's kind of like a, a bitter ex-girlfriend. They don't want you, but but you can't date. You can't date her best friend, you know, and that's kind of it's kind of where that's at. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was also thinking if Nicolaitis will manage to make Thomas Hertel move, you know, to Real Madrid, just trying to buy out his contract and, and you know, silently going to the main rivals. Probably not this time after this Hertel's experience. But from my side, I mean, you already mentioned, you had good points, uh, and especially about Milan, because I believe that there might be some other sleepers. What if Partizan Angelko Bradovic comes with an offer? Because they were together in Pantnaikos when they won the EuroLeague. And actually, Partizan, they were looking for a solid point guard even during the last season. And now with that, Moore, uh, an expiring contract. They only have Yamadar and Alexa Amra Avramovic on the team. So Nicolaitis would be a nice fit next to Kevin Punter, Zach Liday, and some new acquisitions. I mean, who, who knows? Partizan might throw a lot of money. I mean, they already uh, threw some unexpected bombs last summer. Nobody even have a feeling that they might sign Kevin Punter or Zach Liday. So I wouldn't be surprised with Nicolaitis uh, moving to Belgrade right now because once again, we cannot hear anything about Partizan and their upcoming moves. But as a fan, yeah, Augustus, I saw that you want to interrupt me, no? To add yeah, something. I was like, and if Partizan yeah. would, can get more of uh, big shooters at center position, that would be especially, I think, a, a great fit with Obradovic, with Punter, with uh, Lide on the roster. If you get four shooters along, around uh, Kaladis, I think that would be huge. That would unlock the offense and it would be a huge poten potentially one of the best offenses in how Bradovic can use the best abilities of each player and then with Kaladis running the pick and roll show I think that would be also a really nice fit 
Yeah, but you know, as Eric said, Barca they also have to look for some uh, comfortable destinations, not to make any uh, not not challenging uh, destinations for them. And I was looking for the whole Euroleague perspective, and I was looking from neutral fans' perspective. I mean, Fenerbahce they're already good. They have Etudis, they have Vilbekin, they have Eric's guy Motley, Jakiri. Some other signings are coming there. Milan, they're already per- perfect. Okay, we're not sure how this situation of Kevin Pangos will be concluded. But anyways, they already had a lot of uh, solid pieces. And I want to improve these bottom uh, EuroLeague teams. And you already mentioned Pantnaikos Athens. I think that I believe in this reunion. Uh, okay, Pantnaikos, they're not as rich as they were before. But they can move some pieces. And there are a lot of talks that... Uh, Papayanis has a lot of NBA interest and he might mm, move to the NBA, although he has a crazy NBA buyout. It's around $4 million, uh, if I'm right. But at the same time, his contract is expiring next summer, which means that if Panathinaikos is not uh, letting him go this summer, probably they will lose him for free next year. So at least they should look for some you know, consensus of letting him go for, I don't know, $2 million, for example. It's already a different conversation because NBA team can cover $775,000. So for Papayanis, it's already only $1 million instead of three or $2 millions. So I think that they might find some solutions to create some um, salary space for Nikolaitis and Panathinaikos. And what Panathinaikos can offer uh, is the fact that probably it's the only team where you can give him keys of, of, of the team because Fenerbahce I mean Kalaitis won't be the main guy it's Wilbekin and Kalaitis he's turning 34 I mean he, he, he he's moving from the alpha man to, to some you know secondary uh, option on every team we are, we are discussing already but Nyakos they can give him the keys of the team they can give him the control of the team because we're not sure who is going to be the head coach of the team but when you have Nikolaitis he's already the head coach on the floor and with Kalaitis, every team instantly becomes the playoff contender. So I would love to see this um, this good wave, good boost for Panathinaikos to finally be in the playoff uh, contention. I think that they can find 1 million euros uh, to cover half of the, his contract. I think that they can um, give him that joy, which... Maybe he was missing in Barca and Panathinaikos can be Kalaitis team again, at least for the next season, because he's turning 35 in, 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 in two years. You know, it's a different conversation. But right now, I think Panathinaikos would be a great choice for every neutral EuroLeague fan. Although before Lorenzo Brown signing, I was I was I was really hoping to for him to end up in Maccabi because Maccabi for me was a perfect destination because differently from Panathinaikos, when Kalaitis left Panathinaikos in 2020, that divorce wasn't easy. There were some, some you know, behind-the-scenes uh, fights. With Maccabi, is different. There are no bad past experiences. Odette Katash is the coach who is completely opposite to Shoruna Sisikavichus. He gives full freedom to his players on the court. He's a, he has that laid-back approach. Uh, both in the practices, for example. I remember that his practices, they barely last uh, one and a half, uh, one hour and a half. Nicolaitis is, is the guy who wants to play games and not to, you know, uh, not to run full speed in practices. 
Maccabi also could give him a keys of the team and he might connect all these interesting pieces uh, they have right now with Darun Hillard, with Bonzi Colson, Austin Hollins, Alex Poitras. Uh, he's the guy who can sell tickets. Uh, he's a highlight real guy who can inspire all Yadeliahu arena. I mean, I saw that, I saw Kalaitis as a very interesting fit for Maccabi, but yeah, with Lorenzo Brown, it's already a spacing nightmare for the coach because they're both below 33% three-point shooters. So now I, I go with Maccabi. Uh, Panlaikos, I'm sorry. I was talking too long. Sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, you're good. I think good. another team that's, that he could fit on, but I'm not sure if they would do it just because it's in the Spanish league, is um, Basconia. Um, they haven't really made a lot of moves. They haven't been active on the market. And to have a league guard like that, you know, I think he could definitely put them over the hump and put them in playoff contention. By They're the way, probably I one have... of the most silent teams so far in the market. Donatus. Yeah, that's true. And they're still uncertain about Will Baldwin and his future. So they would be looking for a point guard. And we don't have many point guards left on the market. So, yeah, probably every team has to make some moves for, for Kalaitis. I wouldn't be surprised if Monaco will be making moves. Uh, even, even I don't know, maybe it's even an idea for Jalgiris. But at the same time, for Kalaitis, there's no reason to join uh, teams like Jalgiris. I mean, there's no sign in Konas. Uh, he probably doesn't know the coach, uh, all the players. So, I mean, he he will be he will go somewhere with more sunshine. And I think Jalgers <laughs> needs Jalgers needs more of a scoring type guard now with the other signings they have. Not not Nicolaitis. Obviously, it would he would improve the level of the team by a mile. But I think they need other type of uh, guards at the moment. By the way, I had a question for you, Eric, uh, because I think that there was a kind of underrated moment. I don't know if you remember, but there was a photo of Barcelona head coach Sharunas Isikavicius and mm, Tomas Satoransky. That photo leaked out probably during the playoff time, EuroLeague playoff time, maybe before the playoffs. And I, I, from players' perspective, let's say you're 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 on your team, you're having a season with big goals. And on Twitter, you see your head coach having some nice lunch or dinner with potential replacement for you. I mean, there were ta I, I talked with some people and they said that knowing Charles, he could easily try to play both Satransky and Kalaitis on the same team. But at the same time, it's kind of a signal for Kalaitis that, you know, some something might be going on. And maybe team is already making, preparing some moves uh, and to move him uh, in summer. H how do you feel as a player watching coach having this uh, making this photo and more of you know watching this photo being leaked on the internet uh, for me i would feel like it's uh kind of hypocritical um if i was out meeting with a different team a coach or a president from let's say if uh, nick was out with pablo lasso or you know with a team from the spanish league i think a lot of barcelona fans would be extremely upset they would think he was not focused. They would think his head was somewhere else. And I think there would be big problems there. Um, I know part of it is the business. This is the game. Um, a lot of it is, you know, sometimes unfair. You know, players don't have the advantage in upper hands. Teams do. Um, and I think that's why there's a big discrepancy with the NBA and with Europe. Um, I think if he wanted to meet and, you know, do those things, I think there's a way to do it more quietly, um, you know, for the sake of the team, for the chemistry, um, and for the goal intact. Because, when you see a coach focusing on next year, it almost makes you feel as if, you know, 
they don't care about this year or they're not as locked in or as engaged. And why should the players be as engaged? You know, and I know you have to prepare your roster. You have to get certain things ready. You have to move quickly, you know, because especially in the NBA market, you know, maybe he could assign with somebody, or maybe he goes to a different team, but you know, you just can't make a public display out of it. I think it can, it can hurt players, egos, their confidence, and it can rub them the wrong way. So that even if a player is a free agent or wants to come back the following year, you know, that type of move could make you change your mind quickly. I have a feeling that Yesikavichus didn't know and or didn't believe that, you know, that restaurant will put this photo on Instagram. So I have a feeling that I, I'm not so sure if Yesikavichus is coming back to that restaurant in the nearest future, actually. I, I really believe that he was mad because it, it was not good. It was not good, as you said, you know, to to get it on public. Yeah. And you get somebody who's just similar to me, like somebody who's 6'5", 6'6", someone who's more of a creator, pass first. He's not the same playmaker as Nick, but they're very similar. Good defensive-minded guards look for the teammates. I mean, it just it looks like a, a pull and a, and a plug, like another player coming right in to do what I do. So, I mean, maybe you can argue that they were going to play together, but I couldn't see how that would work. I mean, I could see them being backups for each other, but to have two guys in there who are more slashers, who get to the basket, who create, I, I don't think they mesh well together. So, I mean, if that's the excuse they want to go with, I mean, they can use that, but not many people will buy it. Yeah, interesting time for Barcelona. Uh, we will see more changes, but now let's go forward with Fenerbahce. And you both already mentioned that Kalaitis would be a good fit for, for Fener right now. So is it the biggest next free agency move you're making as a Fener GM? Uh, I mean, signing Nikolaitis next to Wilbekin? Augustus? I think uh, they have to look for uh, two two players in the back in the backcourt, and uh, with Wilbekin and Decolo, I think not only Kaladis but a guard. I know we are seeing uh, multiple reports about Higgins. We don't know about Dante Exum situation. I would see those two players out of these three together with Kaladis really just contemplating each other very well in the in that backcourt and with uh with motley with booker with jakiri with polonara all these guys i think uh it would be a really it would be a contending team for, for the playoffs so you know the, these big names like higgins like exum and kaleidas i think these three are probably the hottest uh, free agents right now in this moment and i would be looking for fenerbahce to sign them very soon maybe maybe in the next weeks because it's already end of june and you know these big name players won't they do not last long in the market usually so i think these three names which is which one is for your favorite one you have exum higgins and and Kalaitis on the table and you have to make it that phone call to sign one player which one you're signing i think number one option my my option would be higgins I had another name here, uh, Nick Weiler Babb, but uh, I think he's like close to being uh, officially yeah, signed and resigned again Bayern. With, with Bayern München. So I, I would, I was thinking about him, like really matching up well with the roster they have. But uh, my number one pick would be Higgins here. Okay, Eric. So they already made a big move signing Jonathan Motley, but the next move you're making as the Fenner's GM. 
Um, they need a true point guard um, desperately. I think Scotty's a great player, but he's best when you allow him to be a scorer when he's playing in that combo role, more of a two, and then some minutes at the one. Um, and this allows him to be free to use his jump shot, to be in attack mode, to open things up for his teammates. I mean, they have arguably maybe the best front court in Europe with their signings right now. Um, and I read that they're trying to get Molentino. I don't know if that's going to happen, but if that did, that would be um, ridiculous. Motley, Molentino, uh, Booker, Polinera. I mean, you're talking about really good players and they're going to need the ball. And who better to get the ball than a guy like Calapis? Um, he can get the ball to everybody. He can keep everybody pleased and happy. Um, I just feel like, you know, without a true playmaker, it could be difficult losing Perrier Henry. You know, it's really going to hurt them. That's a guy who doesn't care about scoring, can score if needed and caught upon, but he's a guy who's content to play defense, to run the offense, to be creative, to get the team out in transition. And you know, without that, that true playmaker, I just feel like if you force Wilbekin to be that, you take away what makes him special, right? That shooting, that, that flair, that creativity. Um, and you put him you know, in a restriction. I don't think Atutus is going to do that. I think he's going to let him be free. I mean, you don't sign a guy for three years and pay a million-dollar buyout or whatever it was to get him if you're not going to allow him to be him. So Calathis is number one, just on fit. I'm not saying he's better than Higgins or he's better than Exum. I'm just saying just on what they need, even if it's not Nick Calathis, they need to go find a true point guard and someone to kind of organize everything together and to be the coach on the, on the court. And regarding to Milutinov's case, it seems like that he's uh, staying in CSKA Moscow. Uh, Fenerbahce was, was the team that, that was after him uh, for sure. But, you know, he's locked uh, in Moscow basically because there's Olympiakos Piraeus that they were making some moves uh, trying to sign him and he would like to go back over there although they signed Mustafa Fall on a long-term contract. But he really has some great memories about Olympiakos. But at the end, because of his contract status with Seska, it's, it's probably impossible and it's almost 100% sure that he will stay. So at the same time, of course, it would be it would have been a huge boost for Fenerbahce, but I I'm kind of happy that Itudis is coming back to his roots because if you remember how he won the Euroleague with Seska in 2016 and 2019, I mean his centers were Kyle Hines and Otello Hunter, uh, players like uh, who was on that team as well. It was Voroncevic, Krapa. He played small ball. Uh, with versatile, mobile, uh, tall guys, and heavily guard-oriented offense. On his backcourt, he had Higgins, Decolo, and Teodosic. And later, uh, Decolo, Chacho, and Higgins. Yeah, they, they replaced uh, Teodosic. And in 2016-2019, uh, they won the EuroLeague. And that's what we can actually see right now, uh, the way Fenerbahce is rebuilding the roster. They might end up having Motley and Jakiri at center position. Then there's Booker, Akila Polonara, although there are some rumors that some of these guys might move, might switch teams, for example, Akila Polonara. But to me personally, it's already a good front line, which has enough uh, guys to stretch the floor, with, which has enough uh, potential uh, with Motley, for example. Jakiri is a great defensive, uh, humble guy. So I think it fits it to this uh, approach on trying to build the winning team through the backcourt and that's yeah of course that's where uh, the most important signing is coming on because I've heard that mm, probably it's also related to the fact that Milutino is staying in Sky, but now they're putting huge focus on that perimeter guy and 
I saw that there was a report that Nanda de Colo uh, probably staying. It was reported by Israeli journalist Arale Weisberg. So let's say he's staying and they're looking for a main point guard. Kalaitis seems to be like an easy choice if you have money. Roster-wise, fit-wise, Kalaitis is a kind of obvious choice. But from what I heard, they're also looking for some creative options. Not uh, They're exploring not only the free agents, but some some players who are under contracts as well. And maybe they're not uh, top-tier players or not these names from the elite shelves, you know, some maybe some up-and-coming guys. So there might be some interesting moves uh, from Fenerbahce uh, side this summer. And, and yes, this is very, very uh, precautious about this next signing. So we'll see, we'll see uh, what they uh, sign at the end. Donatas, what is uh, Nate Walter's situation? That's that's one of the also one of the most interesting remaining point guards on the market. Uh, he was on an expiring deal with uh, Red Star, and from what I hear, he's probably leaving Red Star for sure, and he will be available. So, I see good teams or even you know um, bottom teams uh, going after him because, as I said, not many point guards left, and Nate Nate he has all these qualities. He is solid in offense. Uh, he can play defense, he's calm, he knows how to control the team, and he did a good job in, in Restar, in my eyes, and he was an ideal fit for that team that was built by Coach Radonjic with his you know, own approach of, of building team. He had a great season. He had a great season defensively, running the team. Whenever he had to beat his man one-on-one, he did that, so for me, his season was fine, and I, I could see you know better shelf team signing him this summer. I mean, I would like to have a, a taller option next to the Colo and Wilbe and Wilbekin in Fenerbahce, so that's why I didn't mention him. But I I see him as one of the most coveted remaining free free agent playmakers this summer. Yeah, and going forward, uh, Maccabi, maybe Fenerbahce, they're just kind of you know getting their pace on rebuilding the team. Watching what Maccabi did, actually, it seems like they're close to finish their roster for the next year and including some official moves they made and some unofficial uh, unofficial but finalizing deals we have lorenzo brown and keenan evans at point guard position darwin hillard and austin hollins bonzi colson guy pnini uh, alex poitras josh nebo is coming and it seems like they're looking for a starting uh, stretch four uh, there might be some other Israeli players like uh, Sorkin, Zvi, Ziv, or, or, or some other local guys. But the core is kind of clear, and they're just one stretch forward away from basically finishing the roster. What do you think about this lineup? And do you like this roster more uh, than the previous years? Yeah, I do. I think um, the roster has more depth. Um, I think they have more options on offense. I think a lot of times the offense will bog down. Um, because Scotty was really the only one who could kind of you know, create something from the perimeter. So now you add somebody like Lorenzo Brown, who not only can score himself, but he can get you six to seven assists a game. You've seen how he did in Unix. Um, you know, he made sure Cannon was involved, Herzonia was involved. You know, he had that team flowing. He was kind of the engine. And I think he can have a similar effect with Maccabi. And then now you put Kenyon Evans in a comfortable world where he's a backup point guard instead of coming off being a starter trying to contribute do what he had to do in his first year in the year lead it's a lot to ask you know now he has that year of experience he's coming back he's going to feel more comfortable more confident he has talent he just needed that year under his belt to kind of get familiar with the year elite and then Hill is just the guy who's experienced who's been there he can be their 
their score from the wing. He doesn't need a lot of dribbles. Um, he can get right to it. He's really good in pin down actions. He has good size. And then I like Austin Hollins. He's a, a perfect glue guy, someone who's defensive oriented. He shows you he can play in the system. He did it in Zenit. He did it in Red Star. Um, and he'll play that role um, effortlessly. Um, and he, he's extremely long. He can be kind of your defensive ace. Um, Colson, he's the guy that you, you take a, a risk flyer on. You see the talent, you see the size, you've seen what he's done, done throughout the time in Karshiaka, um, also in Strasbourg when he was the um, Champions League MVP. And so you take a risk with a guy who maybe doesn't have your elite experience, but you back him with experienced guys. And if he gives you something great, if he doesn't, it's like... Um, uh, you can low, afford it, yeah. Yeah, low risk, high reward, you know? And, and you know, it's not going to be a commanding salary like the other ones, but, you know, I think he can be a guy that can really help him and he'll have some games. He's going to have some ups and downs, a learning curve because the lead is different, but, you know, he has the potential. Um, you bring back your captain and guy. Um, Alex Poitras is a great signing. Um, big fella rebounds, great in the pick and roll. Um, you'll see him and Lorenzo Brown connected on lots of alley-oops. Um, Nebo is an athletic freak. Like, the way he jumps, his strength, he can switch as well, just like Poitras. I mean, they have so many ways. They, this is a perfect team. You could tell David Blatt had his hands on this because – they can switch one through five. They have a bigger guards. They can bump, they can grind. They can push out, get out in transition. They can play in the half court. They have a pick and roll player. I mean, I really like this team. I'm not sure if Jalen Reynolds is coming back or not. I know he had another year on his contract um, and you had that third big. I mean, this is a really attractive team. Um, if you could find maybe one more score off the bench, um, I think that would be good for them. Um, just like a pure score, somebody to come in or maybe a pure shooter could be somebody like, he's not available, but like a, a Billy Barron type, someone to come in to give you that space and maybe they only I play. I Cannon, for example, right? Yeah, yeah, like that could be a good fit. Like a guy who can really shoot it. I think that's all they're missing. I mean, Hillard can shoot it, but outside of that, I don't think they have a, a sniper. And if they get that, I think they'll pretty much have all the pieces. Eric had uh, some great points and uh, I, I love how they have constructed their roster. I think they need just to find the, the continuity because in the last years, they they haven't quite found that. And uh, I really like the addition of David Blatt to the roster as a, as a consultant to the team. I think uh, he will give that continuity to Maccabi that they lacked in the in the past years. And just just adding to that point, I think they need one more guy in the in the power forward position. And I think like we are seeing with the additions they are making with Lorenzo Brown running the show at, at, at the playmaker with Hillier and running off screens, he can play pick and roll too. With the big guys they signed with Nebo and Poitras, you know, it will be a pick and roll heavy offense. So I think you need a stretch four. And I think Adrian Mormon makes perfect sense here. If he is available, I know Monaco is probably, probably wants him. Another guy that uh, could, you know, be a backup power forward who had a nice stretch in Milano, I think, this year is Ben Ben Bentil. You know, he would be a nice option. Let's say maybe not that uh, expensive. I don't know about his contract, but I don't think he is that that expensive. And he 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 would bring this. You know, he can switch easily with with the small guys. He can shoot. He had some nice periods in in Milano. So I think these two guys would be an, would be nice additions to their to their team. Yeah, I have power forward free agents list uh, on my screen. We cannot uh, forget Deshaun Thomas, for example. He could be also a nice fit if you need some three-pointers. Nigel Hayes-Davis, he can shoot the ball. 
he's tall, he's big, he can play multiple positions. Anthony Gill is one of the names I'm hearing uh, uh, being discussed uh, around the EuroLeague teams. It's possible that he might be returning from the NBA to Europe. I think that he's a very interesting uh, uh, player for, for any team who, which is looking for a stretch for. Other than that, it's tough. It's Trey tough. Tompkins. Trey Tompkins. Trey Tompkins. Yeah. I like that pick. Yeah, so there are some interesting Experience options. Shooting, yeah. I, I, I like the point uh, you, Eric, made about Keenan Evans and his situation. I mean, how tough it was to be that. I mean, Maccabi, for the entire uh, tenure of Philbikin in, in, in Tel Aviv, they were looking for some, you know, perfect... Um, piece next to Scott Wilbekin. They tried a lot of different players. It was Nate Walters, uh, Michael Roll, uh, now it was Keenan Evans, Chris Jones. And Chris Jones' example showed how hard it is for the EuroLeague rookie, rookie you know, to try to fulfill these expectations. How hard it was for Chris Jones in the, his first year, and when he went to Aswell, we saw Chris Jones being one of the most wanted point guards in this uh, free agency. And who knows, maybe Keenan Evans also might uh, be able to make that huge step uh, the next year with that, you know, bagage of, of one-year EuroLeague experience and in a, a bit more comfortable situation. So not only with these additions, but with these players who are staying in Maccabi, they might uh, improve uh, the next year as well. Pretty yeah, much it about Maccabi. Yeah, I would have liked to see them give... Um more multi-year deals to those guys just to get that continuity like Augusta was talking about. It's tough when you switch teams and it's a whole new roster turnover trying to adjust, get chemistry by the time guys finally figure it out. Um, hopefully they can bring that core together. But if you don't have guys on those two-year deals, if they outperform um, the contract, now you have budget issues or you have, you know, a guy that you wanted to keep going somewhere else. So, you know, I hope they structured those contracts correctly on the one plus one and gave some two-year deals just because you got to have some type of continuity you don't see championship teams changing entire rosters like it just doesn't happen they always keep the core together and it seems that maccabi has done it you know every other summer in the recent in, in the recent years just changing five seven eight players on their roster and just you know every every new season there is a new team you have to adjust each other to everyone and you know to the new coach to the system to the city just everything and it, it starts to become a mess then you have to change the coach in the middle of the season and you know then your season just starts to, to going you know downhill it's yeah. hence the year lead playoff drought how many years has it been three four uh i think even more yes, maybe, maybe more i think for yeah, sure maybe not four years they haven't been in the playoffs so you know, this would be yeah. big for him if they could finally get there. They kept constantly changing the coach. Uh, probably only Sferopoulos, you know, he managed to stay in the team for, for, for more than two years. So I just hope that Odette Katash also will get enough support uh, from, from Maccabi front office because they, they sign majority of the players they sign, they were on a sign on a two-year deal, which is a great point. At the same time, I was a bit surprised because they went from chasing Xavi Pascal and ended up signing uh, Odette Katash, who is not, let's say, recognized as a top-tier uh, EuroLeague head coach. So I just hope that he won't be that easy uh, firing solution for Maccabi because it's always so easy to cut domestic coaches, as we saw in, in teams like Panathinaikos in recent years, even in Jargis' uh uh, Colness because it's much easier to move these smaller contracts compared to the, yeah. to these uh, elite head coaches. And if he makes, what's, what's interesting, yeah. 
if he makes the playoffs, I think they'll keep him. If he doesn't, they'll be calling Javi Pascal's phone this summer. Yeah, I just hope that he will be a free agent next summer. Uh, there will be a f- buyout and in, in, in his contract because this year it was crazy because Maccabi was asking for uh, Zenit was asking for like three million euros, but next year, from what I heard, his buyout clause at, at least it will exist because now there was no buyout clause and, and, and his deal. So maybe he will be available. Shadas is on an expiring contract. Pablo Lasso on an expiring contract. Andrea Trinquiere on an expiring contract. So, so who knows? But yeah, let's 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 hope that uh, that Katash uh, will do great uh, because maybe he deserves a chance. Uh, he's the Israeli legend, and the good thing I don't know um, if that was Blatz or Katash idea. They tried to bring a team with good personalities, uh, with fighters who were willing willing to sacrifice everything for the team. Because if you look at the, on their roster on the paper, even after Wilbekin left, you don't see that superstar player. Okay, Lorenzo Brown had a great, great season, but I think that st- he's still at least one year of, uh, away of establishing himself as the EuroLeague superstar, as, for example, Scotty Wilbekin was. So this is more let's say, tight uh, roster with a lot of different pieces with these uh, players who are really humble. They have their own uh, story. Austin Holland's one of the most beloved Red Star foreign players in many years. Darren Hilliard, I mean, the team, uh, if you remember when he got injured against uh, in Barcelona series, I mean, the whole team dedicated the next uh, win for Darren and from what I heard, he kind of burst in tears when Bayern lost the German League uh, finals uh, Poitras, Nebo, good guys ready to sacrifice for the team. So I believe that this roster, maybe compared to the last years, this is it has more potential to become a real, real team on and off the floor. Maybe that was what 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 they're they're missing in the last couple of years. I agree with you. I think they're a playoff team as well. Yeah, and by the way, one question close Scott Wilbekin and his uh, Wilbekin and his chapter in Maccabi. What do you think what he was missing of, you know, to becoming that elite scorer like we say. I I I read a good uh, comment on Twitter that he still needs to prove that he can be compared with Shane Larkin, Mike James. I mean, he's very close to that level, but there's still something he he he's missing. What do you think, guys? What what he was missing in Maccabi and why Maccabi couldn't end up, you know, forming a right squad around him to reach something more than just a playoff appearance last year, which was also heavily related to the fact that Russian teams were excluded from the tournament. Some other teams lost the points because of that, and you know there was a lot of luck involved in that playoff appearance. I mean, he was a bit, in in my opinion, he was a bit, uh, you know. Uh, let's say missed out in the situation that Maccabi wasn't that good as a team, you know, and, you know, usually if you don't win as a player, if you don't win as the number one option, not everyone sees you as one of these main guys in the, in the tournament. But if I had to say, so I think that was a part of his, his situation, how people perceive him in in Europe, you know, he, I think he is a great player, but if I had to say one thing, I think consistency, you know, with his with his offense, I think that that was one thing that uh, could have helped him. You know, he had some some lower points, lower periods during during each season, and I think uh, that's when Maccabi went on on these losing streaks. But like I said before, it's, it was not only not not only on him. So 
I don't really know how to, what else we can, we can, you know, discuss in this. Maybe Eric, Eric has some different thoughts about his situation in Maccabi. Yeah. For me, I think that Scotty, Scotty's a great talent, right? I think he's the best shooter off the bounce in the year league. I mean, he has unlimited range. Um, he can create space to get his shot. Um, he's quick. He's fast. He's athletic. He gets to the hole and he's a, a solid finisher inside. I think with him, he has not learned how to make the game easier for other people yet. So if you want to compare him to Shane and to Mike James, the difference is Mike and Shane could consistently get their teammates open shots, easy shots, layups. And that's why you see some of the higher assist totals and you see them being able to, to dominate, dominate a game with the passing. I think, Scotty can kill you with his scoring, but he has not yet figured out how to dominate the game with his passing, whether that be through the pick and roll, um, through those creations, just getting guys going. Um, when you're such a talented scorer like that, sometimes you can um, kind of relax offensively when it comes to looking for your shot. And you still attack, you still probe, but you look to get the other guys involved and get them some easy shots to get their confidence going because he's such a special scorer that at any moment he can turn it on. So I think he hasn't figured that out. And then I think the second thing is just balance. He's such a great three-point shooter that sometimes he falls in love with it instead of using that speed, that quickness, that explosiveness and getting to the basket. You know, don't allow there to be a bailout for the defense. Get to the line, draw the bonus. Anytime a point guard or any guard gets two feet in the paint, you know, usually good things happen. There has to be help. You have the big on the drop-off or the alley-oop. You have kick-out threes and I think just because he's such a good shooter that sometimes he relies on that three too much. So if he, if he learns to create more for his teammates and to not rely solely on that three point shot so much, I think you'll start to see, you know, more winning, more playoff performances. And then granted, now he's going to a team where he's going to have more talent around him, you know, in thinner, but there's still going to be a lot of pressure. He's still going to be that number one guy, but I think, um, having a, a Decolo to alleviate the pressure, someone who can create just as good as you or better, You know, I don't think he's had that at his time at Maccabi. So now I think you'll see a different, you know, version. He might even get some spot up shots from when Nicolo creates offense. I don't like I the fact that's yeah. yeah. My bad, not this. No, no, just, no I, go, wanted, I wanted to add, uh, you know, to what Eric said. You know, if he has a bad night shooting, and you know it can happen, even to the biggest talents, it happens when you know just the ball doesn't go in, or, or he falls in love with the three point shot, it's not going in. If he finds out how to be aggressive with the passing, how to win games, I think that, as you said, it would help him on the bad nights, on the bad periods, and he just brings the team to another level and his game. So it would be, I think, a huge objective for him this 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 next year. And he's still young. He's yeah, I twenty nine, right? Twenty nine. Yeah, he's coming as he speaks to Fener. So, so this is this and is a good age to put it all together. Yeah, and I think that he needs to step up defensively, but because I thought that sometimes he was just resting himself uh, on the defensive end, and he was just lacking some of the discipline on the offensive end, at least not to be such a big mismatch in, in against some opponents, because a lot of opponents will try to you know uh, use his weaknesses defensively. But at the same time, I think that he's coming uh, to the situation with a very right coach. Uh, Itudis is a very demanding, intense coach, and 
the coaching factors are very important because I think that Wilbekin was missing a consistency from the head coaching stand. He he played for many different head coaches with different ideas of the way how Maccabi tried to play. So now he will have the elite head coach uh, who is very demanding, who is very intense. He knows how to play these guards. You're, you can remember Corey Higgins. I think that Eric brought that up in one of the po- recent podcasts that who was Higgins, you know, coming to CSKA Moscow? I mean, he was coming off Gaziantep, uh, Gaziantep team in, in Turkish League, and maybe people were questioning that move. But he became very, very important championship piece uh, for CSKA Moscow. Then we saw Decolo playing his best uh, years in, in CSKA. There were some other guys, Mike James, when he was playing in his first year, first year, especially COVID year with CSKA Moscow, he was impressive. So Etudis knows how to play these guys. He will help him uh, to develop. And as you guys mentioned, he's coming there at his peak. And in a winning environment, he might uh, step up and finally reach that level. Let, let's hope for that. Vasilis Panoulis, uh, legendary guard, EuroLeague icon, Olympiakos icon, starting the head coaching career. And he jumps straight into head coaching after his playing years. Of course, he had one year off, uh, but now he's uh, he's here, signed a two-year contract with Peristeria Athens, BCL uh, team. Um, are we okay with the fact that there was no break, there was no transition period, he didn't join any coaching staff, he didn't try to be an assistant coach before moving to the head coach position. Are there any reasons to be concerned if he will be uh, successful as the head coach? I like the move. I think that, you know, if anyone can skip steps um, in the coaching process, it's a legend. Like, it's And it, you got to think, this is not just a guy who's good at basketball. This is a guy who eats, sleep, and breathe a game. He watches basketball nonstop from his playing days to now, watches the EuroLeague games, watches all the Greek League games. He knows basketball. He knows the X's and O's. He's had some of the best coaches. Um, so you got to think, maybe he wasn't the coach at the time, but as a player, you're seeing how the coach prepares. You're seeing how he runs the practice, how he demands certain things from certain players. So I think coming in from that player's perspective, he's going to know how to reach, how to motivate, how to talk to guys. I think his struggles will come from you know, lack of control. Because as a player, right, Spanulis can go out there, he can hit the shot, he can make the pass, he can do certain things. You know, when you're a player of that high level, of that quality, um, and now you're on a team, a solid team that's up and coming like Pedestari, you know, you have guys who maybe can't necessarily make those plays that you could make. And you're going to expect them to do that. You're going to expect that type of scoring or that type of uh, decision-making. And, and that's going to be an adjustment for him, seeing guys who, maybe not aren't quite at that yearly level yet or who aren't ready to, you know, take on a full responsibility, but he's going to have to learn to be patient, to groom with them um, and to grow with them. Uh, I think that's a tough part of the coaching, not just winning right now, but trying to develop guys and, and finding that balance. So, and I know he's extremely competitive. I think he'll do well. I think it's, um, it's good for basketball because you know, you have a guy who not only can teach the game, but he can also go out there and show you some things demonstrated as well. But, um, you know, he will have his ups and downs. Um, we see it with all coaches, even some of the best ones. He will be criticized because he's a coach in Greece and the Greek media is, is tough. You know, if you do well, they'll, they'll let you know. If you struggle, they'll let you know as well. But I'm glad that he's starting on a team that's, you know, in that mid-level tier area where he can kind of groom himself and come up. And, you know, you know that when he gets that experience and, you know, he becomes, you know, the household name coaching-wise, you know, the Reds are going to come calling for him. 
I don't have any problem with that too, you know. I've heard also that he is just a freak of basketball. He he breathes it every day. He he watches the game. He the only things that he speaks in the locker room and he wants to speak is is basketball with his teammates, not not anything else. You know, if you want to joke with him, it's gonna be a it's it's, it's ha it has to be about basketball. So I think he knows basketball in, inside out. He won't have problems with with the tactics. I think uh, the harder part would be the psychology just uh how to approach each player how to talk with them how to motivate them after you know in, in tough periods i think uh this part is gonna be a bigger learning process for him but i think he will do well it's a it's a you know average level team it's a great uh i think it's better to be a head coach than to to be an assistant for him and uh i think he'll do well Yeah, I tried to make a research and there are a couple of main reasons why he went into straight straight into head coaching. First of all, he's Vasilis Panoulis and that's a big ego. And for big egos, you know, you cannot be listening to anybody. He wants to lead. He's alpha man. He's alpha guy. So he wanted to lead the team from the beginning. But at the same time, I think that we kind of felt that the logical transition was, you know, through Olympiakos team, for example, joining the team as Olympiakos legend, starting from the assistant coach, uh, coaching staff, helping uh, Yorgos Barsokas, who's the coach of the year in the EuroLeague, and, you know, trying to um, find some interesting, some helpful things uh, during this transition time. But at the same time, I heard that his relationship with coach Barsokas was not the best. So probably that was not the best fit uh, on, on Barsokas' bench, you know, to try to mix uh, these two personalities. So kudos for Olympiakos that they didn't put Barsokas in a bad situation because even from the Olympiakos front office, it was kind of a logical move to try to convince Panoulis to join the assistant coach, uh, coaching staff of, of Barsokas. The other fact, uh, what was... Um, worth the consideration is that uh, he wanted to play, he wanted to work uh, at home. And, you know, if you're from Athens, if you're Olympiakos legend, you cannot go to Panathinaikos. So not many teams uh, are left. And there's Peristeri team, which is next to his go home. We cannot forget the fact that guy has six kids. I, I'm every time I'm shocked about this uh, fact. <laughs> I'm every time shocked when I see his Instagram profile with six kids. It's just amazing because I cannot, you know, I cannot uh, handle my one kid uh, so far. So I just cannot understand how it's possible to handle six mouths to feed. So anyway, that's a different topic. So he wanted to stay at home uh, to be somewhere close to his family. And as Eric said, it's a good that it's a team with. No high expectations, no ultimate expectations to win it all. So he will have space to learn and to grow. But the most important thing that I hope that Peristeri board and front office, they're smart enough to give him a lot of time and a lot of to, to go to let him go through a lot of mistakes. Uh, because that's w what will happen, actually. He will go uh, through a lot of ups and downs. And uh, I remember that... Um, it's 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 very hard task to go straight from head coaching uh, from playing to head coaching and also if you were a star player i tried to go through the list of star players going into head coaching in europe and actually ended up finding only sharuna sesekavichus and sasha georgievich they were 
European player of the year since 90s. I mean, there were only two European players of the year who ended up coaching. And if you remember Sasha Georgievich's, Georgievich's experience in his rookie year with Olympia Milan in 2006 and seven season was pretty bad. And after that experience, he ended up not coaching for four years and it took a lot of time for him to get that recognition. But I think that he was missing patience from the front office and support from the front office. That what Sharuna Sesikavich had in Zalgiris. Okay, he was an assistant coach for almost two seasons, but at the, at the same time, he started his head coaching career. I think that his record in the EuroLeague was something cl close to two wins and 12 losses. In his first season, I think that he lost the Lithuanian Cup, and then there were, uh, his first full season ended up as a losing season. They didn't make the playoffs, and I think that they finished in the 10th position. S some some signings of his coaches were questionable. Kevin Pangos, in his first year in Jargiris, he was, he was very average, maybe below average. There were a lot of things you might have questioned, but he was he always had that support. And Jargiris let him grow through mistakes. The whole team grew together. The whole organization grew together. And the rest is history. So I hope that Spanolis will get uh, the same support from his environment here in Peristeri. No, that's a great point. Um, patience, growth, full control, and learning from mistakes. That's huge for coaches. I think I think if they do that, he'll have that success and that growth that Sowers had, and he'll be on his way. I mean, if Peristeri will see the improvement, why would they, you know, fire him after one bad season? You know, that's what Jesse Kavich's first season was all about. At the end, we saw the improvement from these signings, you know, let's say uh, questionable signings that, that you mentioned. These players started to perform at a really high level at the EuroLeague level at the, at the end, towards the end of the season. So people saw that and, and, and they just believed in, in the process. Like you said in the previous podcast, that's when where when Lithuanian people started uh, believe, believing in that. Uh, you know, but it's easy to talk, but in countries like Greece or Israel, uh, for example, it's a tough task to remain patient when you have this pressure, not only from your fans who are trying to enter the locker room and to educate players and coaches, uh, but also from your board because there are maybe too many board members who want to go different directions. It's, it's not as easy as it looks. And, you know, it, it takes only one bad stretch and things might get ugly because we see the real faces when the team is really struggling and when they're going through bad periods, not when they're winning or not in the preseason because there's no losing team in the preseason. There's no bad coach or bad player uh, in the preseason. So you, n you never know. In, in countries like Greece, you never know. But that's still Vasilis Panoli. So, you know, his name in, in Greece is legendary. It carries a lot of weight. Yep. Yeah. And for the end, uh, we have to discuss French League finals. Amazing drama as well. We're down by 1-2 and they managed to win the series in an overtime drama. And uh, I watched the game from the fourth quarter. Augustus watched the, the entire game. Augustus, what would be your main takes about that game? What did you like or dislike the most? First, I was uh, about to ask you a question, guys. Like, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on fouling when you are up free? The opponents have the ball, and do you, do you want to defend and risk taking a, you know the three pointer to tie the game and go to overtime, 
or do we try to foul because that's what that's what Monaco did and uh, they went to overtime I would foul maybe Eric has a different approach because usually NBA teams they end up playing uh, until the last second but in Europe it's probably one of the most common answers that teams are trying to foul players not to give up a potential three-pointer yeah for me it depends on the time so if there's less than the shot clock amount of time so 23 seconds or less I believe it was fouling. 15 seconds 15 yeah. seconds left I think around something like that yeah so I, I believe in fouling just because it's easier for us to hit a three-point shot in that crucial moment than it is for you to get fouled, for you to step to the line, hit two free throws, get a steal, score again. Like, I just feel like there's too many things that have to go right for a team rather than a three-pointer is just one thing, you know. And then yeah. it's not even guaranteed that the guy might make the free throws. I even sometimes, like Barjokas does it, even when you're up two, sometimes I think you should foul as well, especially if a guy is like a shaky free throw shooter or it's a guard who's just the average shooter. You foul, you put the pressure on them, and you give yourself the last shot. So it just depends on the team, how strong we are defensively, how good we are offensively. But I think always foul up three. And okay, I, I was just curious cannot, to... I think that you cannot risk a three-pointer when your opponent has Elio Cobo and Chris Jones. It's just a, too much of risk. You know, They're a hell of a shooter, so they can make a triple from, from, from the logo. So it's... I think that Monaco did a great move, and I think that they you know, went into the overtime not, not because of that decision. They just themselves they missed some I mean, free throws and they yeah, almost there, lost there a in the defense. fourth quarter you know they almost lost yeah. because of that decision but it was just just uh, a mix of of lucky things you know uh gist made two free throws uh, diallo m missed one of two and then okobo went coast to coast against uh, against mike he he made it and one uh with like two seconds remaining and then missed the mm. free throw so it was a crazy ending in the fourth, but that's why Monaco signed him before the finals. That's why they signed him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's professional though. To to have a good contract, making good money, knowing you're going to another team and to go out there and they kind of stick the knife in him and kill him. I mean, hey, that's high level professionalism. And he was amazing in game five. Yeah. And during the final series, he was really delivering for, for Asphalt, so no complaints, uh, just a joke about Okobo, because it really felt that it was some mental thing for him, because even in, during the overtime, he was just missing badly, although before he scored like 20 points, he was just killing Monaco, and starting from these free throws, he just lost the game mentally, so I'm just happy that there were some other guys stepping up, especially my X-Factor was William Howard, Howard who made some clutch three-pointers, he made this Tyshawn Prince or LeBron James uh, final series against the uh, Cleveland Warriors block type of block when he stopped Paris Lee. He made that crucial defensive stop when Dwayne Bacon was about to make the final shot of Monaco. I think that he was a real X factor and helped uh, as well to, to win the title. And that was a great uh, after timeout idea by, by TJ Parker, you know, with uh, minus, minus one, with one minute left in the overtime. He, he was... I posted this on this on Twitter and he drew this uh, play with uh, Okobo. He said, okay, you know, Ellie, take the ball, go ISO against Mike. And then on the, on the right side, there is a stagger with the flare screen, flare, flare screen for the second, for the second screener. And it worked perfectly. Like Monaco was expecting, you know, Monaco was, everyone was looking at Okobo attacking Mike off the dribble. So he was quite wide open, you know, he, and he just pulled up with confidence and uh, that, that was a huge shot. Obviously, that the block after was 
a legendary one you know that we are not exaggerating comparing it to, to lebron i mean the level is di different you know this is french league and this is the nba this was this was the nba game seven but the block was the block was amazing uh one other thing i wanted to mention was uh swell's plan against against james uh he was five of 23 uh from the field i read today on twitter he was saying that he had some problems with his hand or with the shoulder you know with the sh with the shooting hand so i think this is this was this played a big part but i just like the as well as idea you know just putting him in as much pick and rolls as you can to get him tired chris jones attacking him sometimes in, in the post just making him work and he, he was he did a really good job on defense you know but though all the all these energies might have you know played a part in him shooting shooting that bad the ball you know five of 23 and uh i think monaco really missed uh, dante hall too and danilo and usage because dante hall gives mike james you know this where you can just drop off passes when you're driving when all the defense collapses on you you can just lob the ball near near the rim and, and he's going to get you and now foul was just uh helping in the paint every time mike drove the ball and on pick and rolls he was he was high enough to not allow him easy three pointers but he was not high enough to to you know allow him easy drives so he was like kind of provoking you know going back and forth and mike was forced to to, to try these tough shot tough shots uh over him so i really like the spells plan i think uh they executed it really well throughout the series and i think it was it was one of the keys for them winning the series yeah defensive adjustments are great the plan was great but i just think that it also comes to the fact that this game was played on june 26th i mean mike james okay he Agreed. joined monaco in september but these teams started their preseason early in august okay in the middle of the august because of new elpa rules but i mean it's just crazy to stay consistent and especially to stay motivated after such a, a historical season for monaco in the Euroleague going to the game five of a quarterfinal series against Olympiacos, a lot of hype, a lot of a lot of good emotions, and now you have to play so long in the French league. I mean, it's just crazy. So I get it. I I get all the you know um, tweets that okay, Mike James maybe he choked his his shot uh, selection or his shooting percentage was terrible. But at the same time, I cannot ask much from the guy who's playing till. June 26th it's just it's just crazy and it's just irrational and you cannot expect the highest uh, level from even from these star players when you have that kind of schedule oh yeah no no one is blaming you know Mike for 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 losing of course, this, yeah. this finals but yeah I think it's crazy to play on uh, 25th of June the last game of, of the season I think it's too long and, and something has to be done because it's pretty pretty ridiculous from my point of view yep that's all for this time i think we're not missing anything right we covered what we have planned it was a pleasure to have you guys again eric mccollum now you will be able to follow him on karshiaka izmir in bcl tournament maybe with matching with vasilis panulis actually i think that's a huge loss for the euroleague i mean because spanulis is, is the euroleague legend euroleague icon and he was always on posters of the Euroleague and now he's going to BCL so for you can imagine that even for the Eurocup having these stories about Spanolis starting his head coaching career that's a good promotion for the Eurocup tournament next to 
possible Vembanyama's move to Paris, Basketball and stuff like that. So maybe I'm just overthinking, but I think that's also a huge loss for for the Euroleague basketball. Anyway, Eric McCollum, follow him in Karshiaka next year. Of course, uh, as he said, he will continue appearing on our, our podcast. And no, you're not uh, tiring uh, me. It's a big pleasure to have you here on the show. Augustus Shulauskas, follow him on Twitter. August 04, a lot of good analysis, uh, video breakdowns, both there and on our website. And just in general, follow us on basketnews.com, both on the YouTube channel and our website. See you next time. Thank you, guys.